it opens uh, when Nintendo opens in Florida, it will be the biggest and most complete uh, Nintendo Land to open anywhere in the world. As you mentioned, uh, more Harry Potter if you don't have enough Harry Potter already. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's bonus episode of the DCL Duo podcast brought to you by My Path Unwinding Travel. And uh, no Sam today. Uh, she had to take our son over to his religious school. He's getting ready for his bar mitzvah. So uh, she is doing that this morning. But I am joined by a fabulous guest. Uh, let me start by welcoming Seth Kaberski to our show, the author of The Unofficial Guide for Universal Orlando. And so, uh, Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to talk to you and uh, Mazel Tov. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and I was I was trying to remember this morning, Seth, you were on some of our very, very earliest episodes. It's uh, been a minute. Yes. It's been a while. Uh, yes. Uh, I, a lot has changed in the world since then. Uh, so it's great to get to talk to you again. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, Seth, we wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about like why a Disney Cruise Line fan might want to visit Universal Orlando before or after a cruise. I have lots of reasons potentially why, but you're the expert. You write the book on it. Um, why don't we start actually there with um, tell folks a little bit about the unofficial guide you write. And like just your your breadth of experience, I think, with all themes, things theme park in Orlando, but especially Universal. Uh, absolutely. Thanks. Um, so uh, me personally, I did not start the Unofficial Guide series. The Unofficial Guide books uh, date back to the 80s, uh, created by Bob Selinger, who was our, uh, our original author and uh, still with us as our publisher. And then he was joined by Len Testa. And together over the years, they uh, did the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World and Disneyland. And I came in uh, a little more than 10 years ago and came in first to start helping with the Disneyland book. And eventually I uh, helped create our unofficial guide to Universal Orlando. And so now, I, yeah, I do the Disneyland book, the unofficial guide to Universal Orlando. And we also have a Las Vegas book that uh, I work on. Basically, the whole ethos of the unofficial guides was uh, back in the day, there were no critical uh, objective guidebooks to the theme parks. The only the only Disney book you could buy was the official guidebook from Birnbaum. Uh, and while that was a great book with nice pictures and, and some nice descriptions of the rides, it did not tell you if, if something was bad or if something was boring or if, you know, something was skippable. The Birnbaum had to make everything sound like it was the most amazing thing ever. Uh, so we were the first book to say, you know, most of the things at Disney are pretty good, but some of the things are not. Also, uh, talk uh, honestly about the crowds and how the crowds work and how they're manipulated and how uh, you can do something, use something that uh, we kind of came up with called a touring plan, uh, which we've evolved and uh, refined over the years to avoid the crowds and to see a lot more of the park in a day by not just kind of blindly wandering around, but by having a scientifically planned out agenda. Yeah. Well, I, I got to put a big plug in here for both the guides and the touring plan uh, website. So we have, I think we have all the guidebooks in our home, including for Disney Cruise Line, which, you know, we're supposed Excellent. to be experts ourselves, but, you know, we, we always find something interesting and new there, but uh, also love touring plans for kind of building your travel schedule through these parks because things have gotten even more complicated probably since the <laughs> 80s with 
when these books started. So it's always nice to have some way to cut through the complicating uh, stuff or the complex stuff. But yeah. So Seth, how long have you been writing the Universal Orlando Guide? Uh, oh, so we uh, came out with the first edition of the Universal Orlando Guide when the Diagon Alley opened at uh, Universal Orlando. Uh, so I think uh, the first edition was, it's on my shelf right behind me, but I don't have my glasses. <laughs> I think it was 20, 2014 was the first edition of that. So um, yeah, we're coming up on uh, this 2024 edition, I think is the, the 10th now. I lose track. Um, <laughs> and this this uh, 2024 edition is is a big one, but the 2025 edition is going to be huge. We're going to have to add a lot of pages to that just to keep up with what Universal is doing. Yep. And we, w- we will be talking a little bit more about that later in the show because uh, they're adding a whole nother gate. Uh, so, yeah. And you, I mean, just to, just for everyone out there, you're also a, a Disney fan, I think. Oh, uh, absolutely. So, I got to yeah. say, I moved to Orlando originally. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey and went to... To college in Virginia for theater and came down to Orlando intending to work for Disney because I was always a big Disney fan. The unofficial guidebooks, uh, I used to read them as a kid uh, and you know, take them out of the local library uh, and plan Disney World trips that my family could not afford to actually go on. So I would plan out imaginary trips uh, for fun. So I've always been a huge Disney fan. I came down here wanting to work for Disney and uh, just by circumstance ended up as a universal employee instead. But I have always, you know, had annual passes to Walt Disney World. I've got a magic key to Disneyland, but that might be lapsing pretty soon. (laughs) We feel your pain. We feel your pain. But uh, I am definitely a fan of Disney, and I'm a, especially a fan of the Disney Cruise Line. Uh, first cruise I ever went on was Carnival, and that so that kind of set my bar. And when I went from that to my first Disney cruise, uh, it just it it opened my eyes to what cruising could be. I got to say, uh, I feel like my home ship is still the Disney Magic because we spent uh, almost a month on the Disney Magic putting together our. Our trips uh, include we did a transatlantic on that that was nearly two weeks, which was if you ever get a chance to do a transatlantic, a repositioning, uh, go for it because it's a really different experience than your typical, you know, four day or seven day out and back. Yeah, no, yeah, we, we that is high on our bucket list to do one of those transatlantic sailings for sure. So, Seth, um, one thing I thought we could talk about is sort of why a Disney cruise, you know, you're on a Disney cruise, you're obviously a Disney fan, but you know, you got that time before and after the cruise. A lot of people like to get into Orlando a few days ahead of their cruise and spend some time at the parks. And some folks do the opposite on the back end of it. I will tell you, our best recommendation is do the parks first always because the cruise is so relaxing. You end your vacation <laughs> relax, not the opposite. Uh, it's also a little annoying when you walk into eateries and have to pay for things again. But um, <laughs> well, I want to talk to you about like, why you know folks might want to take a day out of their touring and maybe head over to Universal or more than a day. Um, maybe let me start with what, what do you think the like the biggest differences are between Disney and Universal right now in terms of the the theme parks? Like, wh- wh- is it thrill rides versus not? Is it you know what what is it that makes these two parks I think very different? Uh, honestly, I think the biggest difference between them right now is complicated and annoying versus just go and do what you want to do. You know, Disney has been backing off on some of their pandemic era uh, complications. Um, like, you know, if you're buying a park ticket now and it's a date specific ticket, you don't have to worry about a 
park reservation, which is nice. Those of us who are annual pass holders, we have some good to go days where we can just use our pass like the old days. But there's still you've got to check the calendar. You've got to see what you're eligible for. And um, and then once you're there at the park uh, or actually at seven in the morning on the day you want to go to the park, you've got to be hammering your phone to try to get your virtual lines if you want to go on Guardians or Tron. And you've got to, you know, if decide if you're going to spend the money on Genie Plus and then try to spend all day on the phone trying to get optimal Genie Plus return times. And it's it's a lot of frustration. Uh, it's a lot of hoops to jump through and it's a lot of spending your day trying to refresh Disney's app on your phone. You don't have any of that at Universal, particularly if you're staying on site in one of their uh, top on site hotels. You've got an express pass that's just going to let you use their equivalent of Lightning Lane anytime you want without a reservation. You know, you don't, you can walk from one park to the next or take a train from one park to the next in a fraction of the time it takes to even use the Skyliner uh, from Epcot to Hollywood Studios. Um, It's just a much more walkable, uh, the scale of it. You know, I always compare the scale uh, and the walkability of Universal Orlando is much closer to Disneyland Resort than it is to the Walt Disney World Resort. You know, especially if you are coming off of a very relaxing cruise vacation and you don't want to follow that up with spending half your morning on a bus trying to get from All Star Resort to Animal Kingdom Lodge and you actually go past Africa on the way. It's uh, a lot more low key, relaxed. Uh, You know, you you have early entry privileges if you stay on site, but you can also sleep in and just show up when you want and not worry about the uh, the lines, the reservations, the the hoops to jump through. Yeah, I, I, I echo that. Uh, I love the walkability of Disneyland and I'd say Universal Orlando and we actually visited Universal Hollywood not too long ago and they're both just, you know, very, very walkable. They're very compact parks. Um, what about pricing, Seth? My, my perception, but I don't follow this closely, but my perception from a lot of folks out there is that Universal is a less expensive to visit, at least from a ticketing standpoint. But w- what are your thoughts on sort of the, the cost of a touring day? Because Universal, I think also, I don't, I don't know if they nickel and dime. I mean, Disney certainly is nickeling and diming too. So yeah, what, what do you think about the overall cost of a, a park day at Universal and Disney? It, there was a time when Universal did compete explicitly on price. And they've backed up they backed off a little of that. And in some places, uh, depending on what day you're going and what type of ticket you are going for, Universal can actually be more expensive than Disney. Um, on a, a one-day, say a one-day, one-park ticket, um, roughly equivalent um, between one of the Universal parks and the Magic Kingdom, which is the most expensive one-day tickets. I believe like Animal Kingdom and, and Epcot, they charge a little less for the, the one days. But if you're going to look at a, a one day park hopper, uh, Universal actually charges more for their one day park hoppers than Disney. Based on the fact that I know uh, I that uh, they want to get the people who are coming for Harry Potter and just want to see Harry Potter in a day and ride the train back and forth. So they know they can charge a premium for that one day park hopper. However, when you go out to looking at Uh, two or three or especially four or five day trips. And especially if you're adding on the water parks at both resorts, Universal for a longer stay uh, definitely winds up to be significantly cheaper 
than Disney. You know, if you compare the longest stay, you know, uh, that Universal offers tickets uh, versus the same number of days at Disney, definitely cheaper at Universal uh, if you're staying for like five days. And, and what about, I mean, a big question for folks, especially if you're talking about coming in, you know, to Orlando from out of town is, you know, where to stay and the cost of hotels. My, again, my perception on the cost side of things is Universal hotels might be less expensive than Disney and come with more perks. But I don't know how they compare to Dis- some of Disney's resorts, you know, in terms of moderate, deluxe, you know, those sort of things. Um, I would say that while the top hotels at Universal can be very pricey. Uh, if you're looking at the Portofino and the Hard Rock Hotel during a peak season, um, you're going to be paying about as much as you know for a room as you might play, pay at the Waldorf or the Four Seasons. You're not going to pay as much as you would pay at uh, the Grand Floridian, uh, and you're going to get what I would consider much better service. Uh, Lowe's hotels operates uh universal and they are a you know a a world renowned you know five star kind of operation uh whereas disney's hotel operations today are not what they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago Uh, and especially if you are coming off of a disney cruise line where i feel like their hotel operation on the cruise line is still maintaining the standards that Disney had in the 80s and the 90s. And you're, if you're used to that kind of high level of guest service, and then you come over to a very expensive room at Disney World, I don't think you can expect any more of that same level of guest service. Uh, Universal, Universal isn't perfect, uh, especially at the lower end resorts when you have, uh, you know, a big event happening and you get everyone trying to check in at the same time. They can get overwhelmed. They can be understaffed. But I think the value proposition is much better at the Universal resorts. I urge anyone who is used to staying at um, All Stars or Pop to look really carefully at Endless Summer. Uh, it, uh, just on, on a, a, a price basis, it's sometimes, you know, 50% less and you're getting, you know, all of the on-site perks for universal, you're getting direct bus service to the parks that takes maybe six minutes to get there from the hotel. And you're getting a, a really nice hotel with, with some nice amenities. You know, the moderates at universal have the kind of perks that the, the deluxe have at Disney. Um, like you know cabana bay beach resort there's an there's a a lazy river around the pool uh, and you're not going to find that in any disney on-site hotel well and they give you i think you mentioned this earlier they give you things like early entry and fast or max pass don't don't you get max pass if you're staying at some of the top tier resorts yeah they call it express pass over there and it is included in every room at uh portofino bay Hard Rock Hotel and Royal Pacific, which are the three top resorts, uh, the ones closest and all all within walking distance of the park gates. And the great thing is that if you get one night in the hotel, that express is good for the whole day that you check in and the whole day that you check out until park closing. So, and they'll let you um, show up and get your hotel key, uh, which, you know, uses your express pass. They'll let you drop off your bags and get all that at seven in the morning if you want. 
and you can take advantage of the hour of early entry, uh, which gets you into one of the park's Harry Potter areas an hour before the, the regular public, uh, which, if you take advantage of it, uh, is the best way of riding Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, because that one always has a long line. Uh, and then at every other ride, uh, you'll be able to use that Express Pass and skip the regular standby line. Uh, and you don't have to make a reservation. Um, you don't have to book it on your phone. You just show up and as many times as you want to ride that. If you're a hotel guest, you've got it unlimited all day. Do, do they sell those as tickets? So like, like, let's let's say that you're you're at the, uh, you know, you're staying at Disney. I, it's, I think it's only like about a half hour from Disney to Universal at, at the you know right time of day, even with a little bit of traffic. But like at Universal Hollywood, they actually sold an early entry for, you know, Mario Land. Yes, they do, which is great for taking advantage to if you want to uh, play the games uh, without being mobbed and uh, and getting a ride on a Mario Kart without waiting two hours. Um, there is no um, way to just buy early entry into Universal Orlando. Uh, you can stay at one of their on-site hotels. Um, there are certain good neighbor hotels where if you buy a package through Universal's uh, travel department, um, you can get in early. But the typical way that people do it is by just staying on site. Uh, you can purchase the Express Passes if you're not staying in one of those three hotels. You know, the equivalent uh, on the, the slowest day of the year is going to cost you around 150 bucks, And at a busy time, they can be worth, you know, over $300. So if you got a couple people in a room and you're staying one night and getting two days worth of express passes, the passes you get are worth way more than you would pay for one night in the room. And how, I guess, how long, Seth, would you recommend someone visit Universal Orlando? You know, if I think about Disney World, man, that feels like at least a four or five day proposition. You know, you can do it and you can do it in less time if you just want to hit some marquee attractions. But how long do you think people need to really get kind of through the marquee attractions at Universal Orlando right now? You know, people try to do both of the parks in one day. And what I say is that if you do that, you can either see all of the Wizarding World and just a couple highlights of the rest of the park, or you can see most of the rest of the parks and not a lot of Harry Potter. Uh, but you can't really do both of the parks comprehensively in, in one day. Um, I recommend one day per park, or we also have in our books some park hopping plans that uh, kind of flow you through, you know, half of one park and then take the train over to do the other, do half of the other park and then flip flop on your second day. Uh, so two solid days to do the two existing theme parks. If you're a water park fan, we really recommend uh, spending a day or at least a morning at Volcano Bay, uh, because it really is, uh, you know, in, in terms of our, our reader surveys uh, and our, our reviews, uh, the top theme park, uh, water theme park in town. And if you want to take it slower, you can definitely spend four and even five days on site. If you're staying at one of the nicer resorts, they all have activities from, you know, a Hawaiian luau uh, to opera singers at the Portofino. Uh, there's you know, a, a club uh, where they have uh, live performances at, at Hard Rock. So definitely things that you can easily occupy you for four or five days. And uh, they, they've explicitly said that when uh, Epic Universe opens in 2025, they are looking for a full week of your vacation. 
Uh, they're going to want that full seven days. And if you make it over to Disney for one day, maybe, uh, okay, they'll let you go. But they're they're planning on putting their, their hooks into you and getting that full week out of you. I also want to put a plug in here for one second. We were talking off air, Seth. Um, I have done both parks in a day, but I've done it with a VIP tour ticket add-on. Uh, and that's uh, the which, way to go if you can yeah, afford it. Absolutely. Yeah. Which which Universal does a little bit differently than Disney because it's it's you buy your ticket and then there's like an add-on. So if I had to put it in terms of... So Disney's VIP tour is you're buying out an entire tour of... I forget how many slots. It's like 10 slots or something like that. And then you're paying per hour. Minimum, I think, of seven hours. Very pricey. I think it's up to $700 an hour yes. now. Maybe yes. 800 Yeah. And and so very pricey. But what, what Universal Orlando is doing is they offer that option, but they offer another option, which is if you don't mind being put with a bunch of other people, we're just going to sell out a tour on a per head basis instead of you buying the whole thing on a per hour basis. And so, I don't know, it ends up being about, a, I think I've seen it as low as maybe like $280 to, you know, a few hundred dollars to, to, to get it as an add-on and then you get all the benefits of the VIP tour you can you get the express pass all day and you know we we did that as a family in Universal Orlando and rode I think every marquee ride plus some of the greatest hits rides you know the men in black and uh, a lot of rides over in the um, the Marvel area you know that sort of thing so I, I think it's actually you know we got a lot of people listening out there who like to sell concierge on occasion if you're selling concierge on Disney Cruise Line this ticket add-on is kind of a screaming deal to get all of the major marquee rides and the existing two parks done in a day, in, in my opinion. Uh, the the private VIP tours are a little uh, too rich for my blood, um, but I have been on the group VIP tours. Um, and it's not a huge group. You're not going around with a, a giant you know, a uh, tour group of 20, 30 people. It's it's usually 10 or 12 people tops. You know, it starts with included valet parking. They give you a nice uh, continental breakfast and the guides are super knowledgeable. And it is, you know, it's a group. They will listen to kind of the group consensus about things to do. You can make requests and, you know, it's not necessarily strictly customized just to you, but they throw in little things. Um, you know, you might get taken uh, into the queue of Men in Black uh, and get to like see the animatronic aliens and sign the guest book, or they can, uh, you know, take you on a, a tour behind the scenes of Mummy, or I've done Transformers and been able to go into the booth and see how everything runs. At, at Disney, uh, basically you're tour guide gets you into the lightning lane. Sometimes that lightning lane can still be a 20, 30 minute wait, depending on things or how things are backed up. Universal, those tour guides are genuinely backdooring you onto the rides and like cutting you in front of everyone. Uh, and it is uh, even rides uh, like Hagrid's that doesn't have any express option any other way. They those VIP tour guides can work their magic and get you right on. Yeah, I, I, so we got to do the on the floor of Men in Black. We got to do standing under the track of the mummy while the car yes. rolls through. Isn't that great? <laughs> it's, it's, it was so cool. And we still got to do all this other stuff. And, and I, I want to just pick up on something you said that I think is so important. Universal, you get breakfast, you get lunch. I think you even get a discount in um, their, I feel it's, what do they call their universal sort of downtown Disney equivalent or Disney yeah, Springs? City equivalent. Walk. City yep. Walk. I think you get a discount on dinner at City Walk and, 
your VIP pass is an express uh, is a an express pass for the rest of the the day. And so if I compare that to what Disney offers, none of the meals are included at Disney. I'm sure parking at some level might be included. I don't know, but you know, if you got an annual pass or something, it's already taken care of. But you don't get the meals, and uh, the VIP tour doesn't get you anything once it's done. <laughs> like unless you've bought Genie, you're not getting through any of those lines. And yeah, the backdoor access to these things, you it is not walk in, stand in line. It is walk in and get on the ride. You will be the next people on the ride is kind of their promise that they they make at the beginning of the tour. And so I yeah, think they they really do make you feel like a VIP. And uh, and during most of the year, the VIP tour um, is not an insane amount more than just buying the unlimited express. Uh, you know, I think I think that for what you get out of it, it's worth paying, you know, a hundred or so more per person over the price of express to upgrade to VIP. During Halloween Horror Nights, however, it is <laughs> it, they sell out, they jack the price up, but it is worth its weight in gold because Halloween Horror Nights lines are scarier than anything inside the haunted house the queue outside <laughs> is way more frightening than anything inside and your express pass only cuts that two hour wait down to about an hour uh whereas a vip tour is basically if you want to go on a busy night and see everything in the park that's the only way to do it Let, let's talk about that for a second seth because i want to sort of you mentioned halloween horror nights i want to talk about some of the special things and compare you know uh if you're there at a holiday time you know, you've got Mickey's Not So Scary, you've got Halloween Horror Nights. But that also raises a question for me around, I feel like Disney is made for families with young children and all ages can enjoy it. Universal, how would you say they do with the younger crowd? Because I view them as much more like a thrill ride park. And like, I'm excited that my 10 year old son loves those rides. But when he was younger, we were sort of like, nah, I don't know if it's going to be the right thing for him. Right. Um, how do you compare the sort of the who's this for? Yeah, um, you are right that uh, Universal does lean into their thrill rides. They have higher height requirements. They have things that go upside down and make you empty your pockets and put everything in a locker. Uh, I guess now we have Tron that makes you do that. But um, it, you are right that it skews older. However, I think people sometimes underrate the attractions that are there and the accommodations that are there for kids. Uh, right now, the the uh, what used to be kids' zone is a construction zone, uh, but it's coming back as DreamWorks land, and it's going to have a lot of franchises that really appeal to kids. You're going to have Shrek, uh, you're going to have Trolls, you're going to have Gabby's Treehouse, you're going to have Kung Fu Panda, um, a lot of really popular IPs with playgrounds and rides that are designed for little kids. Um, no matter what you do, Universal's got a lot of rides with height restrictions, though. And Disney, there's a lot of rides at Disney that you can take an infant on. You know, they'll let you can go on the Haunted Mansion or Pirates or It's a Small World, and there is no lap bar, there is no restraints. Um, this is also how we get people jumping out of living with the land and trying to take a cucumber home with them. <laughs> Universal, even the kiddie rides like the Seuss Trolley train, uh, you know, they pin you into the seats with restraints on everything, uh, which means that, you know, the littlest kids are not going to have a lot to ride, you know, past the Carasusel and the, uh, the the one fish, two fish Dumbo ride. There's not a lot that, that, you know, little, little, little kids can ride. But I think that Universal's playgrounds for little kids are better than the playgrounds at Disney. Disney, you've got the Boneyard, you got the Casey Jr. Splash area, and not a lot else except for some splash pads. 
Whereas Universal's got a Seuss playground for little, little kids, which is really, really well done. They've got uh, the Popeye playground area for kind of slightly older kids with slides and climbs. And then they've got Camp Jurassic for, uh, you know, the kind of elementary age kids. And honestly, that I think that's fun for me. Um, the net climbs, the caves, all like I think that is up there with Tom Sawyer Island, but you don't have to wait for a raft to get there. The flip side of this is there are a lot of rides that, you know, kids will not be able to go on. It does create FOMO when the older sibling is allowed to go on a ride with with mom and dad. Uh, but there was one one kid who's just too short at Disney. They have a child swap system where basically you know, one person waits outside the ride with the kid and then has to wait till the other one's done. And then they have to go through the lightning lane afterwards. And that can really add time into your day. Universal system is they've got a child swap room built right into every ride that has a height requirement. And it's this quiet area. They usually got a TV or some games to play with. And it lets one parent ride and then they can immediately just swap out right there and be on your way. And if you've got one kid who's kind of intermediate age, it lets that kid ride twice with uh, one parent each time. It's a really great system and I think a huge improvement over the way that Disney does child swap. Yeah, that, that is a great, a great system. I mean, I, I sort of view Disney as like introducing our son to various levels of rides and attractions and coasters. And then once he was riding things like Tron or Guardians or Space Mountain or those sorts of things, it's like, okay, let's let's go test the waters over at Universal. And I'll just my my tip is if you're headed to Universal and you you're wanting your kid to experience thrill rides. I'd absolutely start at Hagrid's because I think Hagrid's is the most accessible of the thrill rides that they have over there. It's an actual coaster, not screen based. But I wouldn't start with the Hulk or Velocicoaster or something. No, like you got to work yeah. work your way. At Hulk and Velocicoaster. Uh, Hulk, because uh, it's got an amazing opening launch and it's gotten a little bit rough over the years, even since its rebuild. Um, and just Velocicoaster because it is one of the most intense coasters on earth, especially that Mosasaurus roll at the very end uh, gets me every time. And I've been on coasters all over the place. Those are not starter coasters <laughs> that you you work your way up to those. Uh, but Hagrid's is a great family friendly coaster that you know almost everyone really enjoys that even people who don't typically like coasters. Uh, Mummy is another great choice. And and Gringotts, if you're someone who's mostly a dark ride fan and don't like big drops, you know, Gringotts has got a, a little drop at the beginning and a, a little launch at the end, uh, but it's mostly dark rides. So that's another good transition. Hey, DCL Duo fans, you know, we get the question all the time, should I use a travel agent to book my next Disney cruise or should I just book with Disney directly? And I'm going to tell you, if you have that question in the back of your mind right now, you should stop what you're doing and head over to mypathunwinding.com slash DCL Duo. The folks over at My Path Unwinding provide an amazing service. They are so knowledgeable and so friendly. We rely on them ourselves to book our family vacations and they provide an amazing service. And the best part is you don't pay anything extra for it. Disney, other tour providers, 
and other cruise lines have built the cost of their commission into their pricing. So if you're booking directly, you are just paying that money back to the provider when you could be spending it on the kind of service you would get from My Path Unwinding Travel. You've heard from their agents on our show. They are so knowledgeable, so giving of their time. They know so much about Disney Cruise Line, Sailing Concierge, other cruise lines, other all-inclusive vacations and adventures by Disney that if you have a vacation in mind, they are the ones to book it for you. So again, head over to mypathunwinding.com slash DCL Duo so they know we sent you their way. Thanks, My Path Unwinding, for sponsoring the show. And with that, back to our episode. Outside of those thrill rides, Seth, what are the attractions? You know, you mentioned there's some, you know, you didn't use the word hidden gems, but like what are, what are the underrated attractions there? Like, you know, E.T. pops to mind is like one of the original kind of attractions there. But what are some of those underrated ones? E.T. is the last uh, ride that is still basically opening day untouched. And it honestly, it could use some touches. Uh, it, it could it could use some some polish and some love. Uh, but I'm glad it is still there. It's very much like um, Peter Pan's flight on acid. Um, <laughs> but I think the hidden gems at Universal are the entertainment. Uh, a lot of people go to Universal for the big rides and they have some of the best performers, some of the best scripts. If there are is is a kind of a one-two punch, two attractions that actually empty out into the same gift shop and are both well worth doing. The born stuntacular uh, on one hand and the horror makeup show on the other. Uh, born, I think, you know, I love me some Indiana Jones, but the Indiana Jones stunt show at Disney has gotten kind of tired uh, over the years. And Bourne manages to take really good high impact stunts and fight choreography and mix it with this uh, digital backdrop technology where you can't tell who's really on stage and who is a digital character. It's really flawless the way that they do the effects and the stunts. And then on the other hand, the horror makeup show, that show has been going also more or less since opening day. And it is still funny uh, because they have great, great performers who are given space to improvise and play with the audience. And no matter how many times I see that, uh, you know, the clips, uh, you know, they're still talking about the Tom Cruise mummy movie. Uh, some, of, some of the video clips need to be updated, but uh, the jokes just do not get old. You know, hey, they had Iger on the cruise line, uh, Gold Mickey's, while Chapek was CEO. So, uh, <laughs> you know, every every so once once in a while, you need to update. So, we haven't done the horror makeup show. We've heard nothing but good things about it, though. So now that you've mentioned it again, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to put that, it on our that top is, of our that list. That is one week. of those uh, sleeper hits that you know no one goes to the park for the first time uh, just to see the horror makeup show. But once you discover it, it's one of the very few theme park shows that you can go into and see over and over again, and it's. It's still funny. Yeah. I, I also like the uh, some of the rides that Universal's come up with that are game based are just really fun. Like, I, I mean, I enjoy Men in Black. We had a blast on the Mario Kart oh, ride yes. out in Hollywood, which will be coming to, I'm assuming, coming to Universal Orlando with the new gate. Um, and then they had, they had that new villains uh, ride that they opened recently. Yeah, right? they uh, transformed the street uh, where you first enter the park um, from just one Despicable Me ride to a whole uh, minion land. And uh, they replaced the Shrek 4D theater with Villain Con Minion Blast, which is 
is at least the first theme park ride I've been on where the 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 person is the ride vehicle. You are your own ride vehicle. You stand on a, a moving sidewalk, uh, kind of like a luggage uh, retrieval at the airport because uh, it can go around curves and stuff. And you just stand on the moving walkway with a wireless blaster gun and shoot at screens uh, and you know make things explode. It is fun and once you sign into the app and create an avatar and customize your gun, uh, it does get a little addictive to try to chase the high score and, you know, see your whole uh, progress in history and collectibles. Um, so that is fun. But it is so chaotic. Uh, when you have something like Men in Black, you know, you've got six people in a car. At this, you've got sometimes a dozen or more people uh, in any one scene all shooting at the same screen at the same time, just trying to figure out whose target is whose and what is going on. You know, the frame rate sometimes gets a little choppy and it's it's very, very overstimulating. So it's worth doing, but I think it's telling that even though it's the new hot ride, it gets shorter wait times than the Despicable Me simulator that's been around for over a decade that's right next door. That's that's good news, though, if you want to uh, try to improve your score, because you can usually get in and out in uh, well under half an hour any time of day. Yeah, I mean, I will say what I do like about that ride, the Mario Land, like Universal's done a really good job of... Um, not just gamifying the ride, but gamifying the whole experience a bit with those, you know, the bands in the Mario Land that will come, you know, to Orlando at some point, right? I mean, you're you're chasing like your team's high score. You're trying to score points. You've got to, I think you almost have to have the band and play the games in order to get into the uh, Bowser Jr. Absolutely. You know, challenge. Yes, and I think you are going to see that uh, becoming more and more. Right now, they are working on upgrading the magical windows in the Wizarding Worlds of Harry Potter, both Diagon Alley and Hogsmeade. There's select windows that have been closed off. They're installing new sensors. And the reliable rumor is that they are going to release a new wave of interactive wands that uh, are still compatible with the old technology, but add Bluetooth so that they can pair with your phone and that it will be able to track you to be able to have customization to have, as you say, more gamification. Uh, because, you know, the uh, the interactive ones in Harry Potter, I think they were brilliant that when they came out, uh, they came up with a system that basically just has a little IR reflective bead on the end of a piece of resin. There's no battery, there's no electronics whatsoever inside the wands, which was brilliant because you don't have to worry about recharging them or, you know, uh, plugging them in or anything or anything going wrong. But it limited how much uh, depth there could be to what they do. Uh, so by coming out with these new wave of interactive wands, which are going to be uh, standard in the new park, you've got the, as you say, the power up bands in um, Hollywood are going to be compatible with what they're installing in Florida. And there's going to be a lot more, uh, just a lot more interactivity and activities to do. And then I think we're going to see some similar tchotchke that you've got to pay for to get the most out of the land for how to train your dragons and uh, for Dark Universe uh, when when the rest of the park comes online. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy that kind of piece of it. My son loves it, right? He loves to be able to like, oh, I got the high score on this, that sort of thing. That That's really cool. It, Disney does that too. They have their Magic Band Plus and they have games that are tied to that. But I almost feel like 
Disney tried that, came out with a few things like the Bounty Hunter game, and then kind of let it stagnate. Uh, and they've done that with a lot of things over the years. They've introduced, like, if you remember the ears that lit up that were supposed to synchronize with, uh, you know, all these things that they've come out with, My Pal Mickey, you know, all of these interactive things that Disney's come out with that have kind of faded away, and then they come out with a new thing to spend money on. And I like that at least Universal seems to be iterating and adding more depth uh, while hopefully still maintaining some back compatibility. The the best I ever saw Disney do it, which is now closed, is the Star Cruiser because you had to, you know, use your band and everything was a big game and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it never never made its way into the parks in the way that it did in that experience. R.I.P. So, Halcyon. Yeah, um, uh, hopefully yeah, we'll see exactly. some of those elements uh, come into the, the parks someday. The R&D that went into that hopefully will not uh, die in, in order just to get a tax write-off. That's, that's what I pray. We can hope. We can hope. Well, Seth, before we get to something that I think Universal is doing really, really right, which is their new gate that they're getting ready to open in 2025, I just want to ask you, like, is there any place where you think Universal uh, needs to improve, uh, that, that you'd like to see them improve the experience? We've been doing, singing the praises, but where are, the, where are the places they might need to put in a little TLC? For a long time, uh, there was a lot of understaffing, especially in food and beverage uh, coming out of the pandemic. And so efficiency of uh, the rides have always been very efficient, uh, you know, for a theme park. But food and beverage for a while was was pretty rough. That, that's improved. I think that there could be tighter integration between Lowe's and uh, the parks themselves, because Lowe's is a, a separate entity. Uh, there's some things that like a Lowe's concierge can't help you with if it involves something inside the parks uh, and vice versa. And, you know, just being able to have like at Disney, you have one magic band that's your your hotel key card and your theme park tickets. Uh, you know, Universal, you got you got to get a lanyard to go to Universal because you're going to end up with at least two or three different cards that you've got to wear around your neck and be ready to pull out in a given time. And Disney, I feel, is very lockstep uh, in terms of messaging. Um, and Universal, sometimes uh, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing in terms of communication. And depending on which department you ask, the policy might be different, uh, you know, uh, on any given day. So uh, that's kind of like a little behind the scenes thing that, uh, you know, in terms of get just you know making sure everyone's on the same page uh in terms of different departments sometimes at universal doesn't happen as as smoothly as it does at disney and uh, the last thing is the integration of getting you from the airport to uh the parks you know disney when they gave up on their magical express i think they made a big mistake and universal hopefully this bright line train that right now goes from the orlando airport to Miami uh, is going to expand expand west, uh, and on its way to Tampa, will hopefully stop at uh, right now outside of the new Universal campus. Uh, and if it does that, that will take away one of the big friction points for guests um, coming to Universal. I'm curious too. The one question I had that you may have a sense of, especially with uh, I know touring plans, Lynn loves to track ride downtimes like how do the how does universal compare with disney in terms of like the marquee attraction downtime my sense is they're up more than disney yeah uh a bit, i mean but i don't know i i i don't have the exact numbers in front of me but i know that especially a select marquee attractions i'm looking at you rise of the resistance <laughs> are 
down in the mornings almost more often than they are up. Uh, Hagrid's is not without their pro- its problems. Uh, there are plenty of mornings where Hagrid's does have a delayed opening. But a lot of, you know, some of the really still technologically sophisticated attractions like Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey are remarkably reliable um, in terms of their uptime. You know, there, there are bad days at Universal. I've been there. There was a, a day not too long ago where they had a power outage and the majority of the parks were just shut down because there wasn't electricity. But I find that uh, Universal has generally been fairly reliable, uh, at least a lot more reliable than they were in the old days. Uh, Universal got a bad reputation in their first few years of being very unreliable. If King Kong, Jaws, Earthquake, those things would break down all the time in the, the first few years of the parks. And that's what people remembered Universal for, broken rides. But honestly, uh, you know, when they opened IOA, they tested those rides hard for months and months before opening IOA to make sure they were reliable. I think we're going to see the same thing with Epic Universe. Uh, you know, we're seeing rides testing now more than a year before the park opens. Uh, so they're going to they're gonna have those kinks ironed out so that when grand opening day comes uh, the the stories is not going to be about how there's long lines because the rides are broken. Well, speaking of Epic Universe, I, I mean, I have been following at a very high level. They're opening this new park, Epic Universe. I know that they're expanding Harry Potter Land as a part of it. I know that they are bringing Mario Land in. I'm less familiar with the other two lands that they're kind of building out there. But like, what what is happening with Epic Universe? I know it's slated to open 2025, but like, what's happening there? What kinds of rides, attractions have you heard about that are coming? And what do you think that that will do to the sort of the overall kind of proposition of visiting Universal Orlando? Sure. Um, you know, it's funny because those of us who are like deeply involved in theme parks, you know, we've, we've been following permits and construction filings and aerial photo- photography for like years and years on this. You know, they had this big splashy debut, uh, this rollout of the park's concept and the central hub uh, details. And a lot of people who are just vaguely aware of theme parks now are really paying attention. They're like, what is this epic universe thing all about? Um, So this is Universal trying to basically build the first theme park, the first Orlando theme park of this millennium. You know, everything else was 20th century. This is truly the first 21st century theme park in Orlando. And it involves kind of a hub and spoke typical to the sort of like the traditional Disneyland model uh, where you walk into uh, their equivalent of Main Street and the hub is going to be called Celestial Park. And they, they talk about putting the garden or the park back in theme park, very lushly landscaped, very garden like uh, reminds me a bit of Shanghai Disneyland in the way that it's very expansive um, with lots of shopping and dining and retail, um, but also just pretty places to relax and take pictures and a carousel. But it's also got the park's most thrilling ride, Starfall Racers, which is a pair of dueling launched Intamin roller coasters uh, that's I think it's going to kind of almost give uh, Velocicoaster a run for its money as the top top roller coaster uh, at Universal. 
And then from that central hub, uh, if you go all the way to the back, you've got a luxury hotel that's going to be integrated right into the park with its own entrance, uh, very much like you see at Disneyland Paris or in Tokyo Disney Seas. Uh, but what we don't have in any of the parks here, that kind of integration. And uh, a, a Bellagio-style water fountain show that will, you know, be accompanied by fireworks uh, and put on a big show every night. And from there, you'll branch off into the four discrete lands. And it's not going to be where sort of universal now where one section sort of blends into the other. This is going to be four completely immersive worlds where everything else is blocked out once you're in there. Uh, and as you mentioned, it's a uh, Super Nintendo world, which includes the Mario Kart ride we've already got in California, the Yoshi ride they've already got in Tokyo, uh, I'm sorry, Osaka in Japan, and also the new Donkey Kong minecart ride, which is the first first roller coaster that looks like it jumps off of the tracks, uh, just like in Donkey Kong this. Country. Uh, it's a very clever system yeah. with a cantilevered coaster where the, uh, the track that looks like it's broken, that's a fake track. That's just for show. The real track is hidden underneath uh, and uh, the car is connected to that by a, a hidden boom. So it really creates the illusion that you're flying through the air. And that is coming to Japan uh, this year and will be part of the land. So when we it opens, uh, when Nintendo opens in Florida, it will be the biggest and most complete uh, Nintendo land to open anywhere in the world. As you mentioned, uh, more Harry Potter if you don't have enough Harry Potter already. And <laughs> this one is uh, called Harry Potter, Wizarding World of Harry Potter Ministry of Magic. And it's, it's kind of a little confusing. You're going to walk into the Wizarding World of Paris from the 1920s like you see in Fantastic Beasts. But then you will walk, take the flu network to end up inside the Ministry of Magic London set as a sequel happening right after the end of uh, Harry Potter and the, the Deathly Hollows, the final Harry Potter book and movie for uh, a uh, dark ride inside the Ministry of Magic. And so they're going to combine both Fantastic Beasts and uh, classic Harry Potter into one land. And then the, the two remaining lands are How to Train Your Dragon, the Isle of Burke, uh, which is going to have a dragon-themed indoor show and roller coasters and a water ride. And then uh, the one that I'm most excited for, Dark Universe, based on the classic monsters, but they've given, been given a modern update. So it's now Dr. Victoria Fran Frankenstein, uh, a descendant of Victor Frankenstein, and she has created a new monster. Uh, there's a dark ride called the Frankenstein Experiment, which uses the Kuka Robo arms from Forbidden Journey. But instead of domes like simulator scenes, it's real physical sets and animatronics uh, mixed with digital projection backgrounds, kind of like the way they make the Mandalorian. Uh, so, you know, things that look like huge scenes that are a mix of physical and practical, but you won't just be sitting in front of a projection screen being shaken around. Well, that is such an improvement over that Harry Potter attraction because I think those screens are what make people a little, a little, uh, a little sick to their stomachs. You know, I think they were a huge um, 
innovation at the time to be able to have that ride be able to seem, seemingly stop in front of a, a screen to use the carousels and have multiple screens going around. It's incredible the way it works, um, but it is uh, definitely induces a lot of uh, sawdust, uh, pink sawdust having to be <laughs> sprayed on the belt at the end of the ride. A lot, a lot of protein spills happen because of that, for yeah. sure. Is is the Epic Universe gate like? Because like right now, one of the things we talked about at the beginning of the show, it's really nice, is the walkability. Is it going to be? Is it going to be as accessible to the other two parks as those two parks are today? And are they going to be connected in the background? Yeah. In some so way? Uh, the new property is a couple miles south of where the existing Universal is. Uh, the new property is going to have three hotels on site. Uh, the one that's got an entrance directly into the back of the park, and two that are very short distance from the front gates of the new park. But in addition to that, they are building, uh, they're upgrading Kirkman Road, which is the main road that runs directly south from the original Universal, uh, from the parking garage, directly south into the new campus. And they're building dedicated bus lanes going down the center of it that'll have their own traffic signals so they won't have to stop for red lights. And they're going to be electrical buses, uh, supposedly. uh, And they're going to have a fleet of them to constantly circulate. I mean, right now they do a similar thing for the Endless Summer Hotel, which is also off-site. It's kind of about halfway between uh, these two new properties. And that bus trip is about six minutes door-to-door. And I've never waited more than five minutes for a bus. Uh, it's going to be a very similar situation. You know, I, uh, there was speculation early on, are they going to build a monorail? Are they going to build a sky car? Honestly, a fleet of electric buses that, you know, does not have to stop for, you know, high winds uh, the way the sky car does or does not trap people up on a beam the way uh, the monorail has. I think it, it makes sense. Uh, and, you know, from what we've seen, it's going to be quicker to get from the old Universal to the new Universal than it is to get from Epcot to Hollywood Studios or to get from Magic Kingdom to Epcot. So a bit of a departure, but a bit of an improvement over the Disney model. So, um, yeah, very interesting. What, what do you think this will... I mean, obviously, this is going to raise ticket prices, <laughs> right? I mean, it can't it can't not raise I, you know, ticket if prices. If you were hoping that your existing annual pass is going to suddenly include a whole new theme park without your, uh, your charge going up, uh, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, Universal has always had much less expensive annual passes than Disney, uh, a lot more benefits. And I think we're going to see that gap tighten. I think they're they're going to know, especially the annual pass holders are really devoted and want to be the first ones in there. That's even if they sell annual passes uh, for the first few months or, you know, they're going to want to squeeze every penny. And there probably is going to be a reservation system, uh, whether it's a reservation system for the park itself or even reservations, you know, timed and entry into the individual lands. Uh, We see that uh, they do that in Japan just to manage uh, capacity. And they've done it in Hollywood, too, with uh, Super Nintendo World when that gets overwhelmed. So I think they've kind of designed this park so that the portals that are your entryway into each of these four main themed lands can be closed off as need be so they can control traffic very carefully. Well, it's, it's interesting to, I mean, expect the ticket prices to go up. But if I rewind all the way back to the beginning of our show, we were talking about the comparison between ticket prices at Disney and Universal, and they're close. And sometimes Universal is a little bit more expensive. Um, you know, increase those prices and suddenly, you know, is it that Universal is a three theme park or a th- yeah, three park 
kind of, you know, overall resort. Well, Disney's a four park resort, you know, those sorts of questions and the ticket price disparity. I, I don't I don't know how to think about that. I mean, I, my sense is Universal also has maybe a lot more rides. Yeah, well, uh, in the two parks it has. The, see, that's the thing. If you uh, start comparing, like I always say, uh, the Disneyland Resort with its two theme parks has about the equivalent number of attractions as all four Disney parks put together. The density, there's nothing that beats the density of especially Disneyland Park. Um, I think that uh, when you look at uh, not just the headliner attractions at Universal, but they're going to be putting in a lot of interactivity that's going to suck up time. You know, if you want to play those Nintendo games, uh, you can easily spend two or three hours punching blocks and doing all the key challenges so that you can make your way into Bowser's Bowser Jr.'s. And I think that, uh, you know, we're going to see those kind of must do activities that are, you know, either paywalled uh, <laughs> so that there's going to be, you know, there's going to be both, uh, you know, explicit increases in price, because I think that Universal is going to want almost as a prestige effect, you know, like a halo effect you want. They want to be seen as the premium product. They can charge a premium because they're going to say this is the number one theme park in town, uh, maybe even in the world. And you're going to you should pay extra to experience it. I think they're going to want on that side. Um, and also just to control, uh, there's going to be a lot of demand, especially that first summer that it's open, uh, especially that first Halloween season that it's open. So, uh, you know, I, I think no better way to uh, control demand than by increasing price, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that has certainly been the Disney philosophy yes, at Disneyland. Yes. That much is yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, Seth, it has been an absolute blast chatting with you about uh, Universal Orlando. Uh, let me rewind us one more time and, and just give you a second to sort of plug uh, where folks can find the book, where they can follow you. I know you've got great coverage of the theme parks even outside of the book. So yeah, where where can folks find you and where can they get a copy of the book? Absolutely. Um, you can find uh, us First of all, at theunofficialguides.com, where you can get a copy of any of our books shipped directly to you. Uh, And then um, on top of that, on all the social media platforms, uh, I am at S. Kuberski, S-K-U-B-E-R-S-K-Y. And the unofficial guides are at the unofficial guides. So uh, we are out there on all of the major platforms, uh, reeling and posting and storying at all the parks. Yeah. And I just want to say one more time, fantastic resources. We love the philosophy of touring plans and the unofficial guides giving you kind of that unvarnished opinion about the parks, the attractions, the, you know, what the, what your visit's going to be like. It's something we try to do on our show with the cruise line. And so just really appreciate them bringing that same ethos to, uh, to their coverage. And so Seth, just thank you so much for taking the time out of your day on a Saturday to uh, spend a little time with our audience. And we, uh, we really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. This is a great conversation and I would love to come back and uh, talk to you more sometime soon. Yeah, maybe we, we can do it in less than two years. <laughs> hopefully, <so. laughs> hopefully. Well, a big thank you to all of you out there for listening this week. We really, really appreciate it. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. We'd also love it if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. If you hit those five stars, that's great. If you leave us a written review along with a five-star review, we will be sure to read it on the air at the end of one of our main episodes. If you're hovering over anything less than five stars, we really want you to reach out to us so we can take your feedback. Best way to do that, head to dclduo.com to find 
all the ways to connect with us. It links to our podcast, our vlog, our blog, has all the ways you can connect with us on social media, has our Etsy store where you can find our fun beach bags and magnets that we designed as enthusiasts of each of the Disney Cruise Line ships, has a link off to our Patreon. If you'd like to help support the show, we really truly appreciate each and every one of our Patreons for helping to support the show each and every month, has a link off to our show sponsor, My Path Unwinding, where you can get more information about booking a fabulous vacation, which also really helps to support our show. All the things are there, including a way you can sign up to be a guest on the show if you'd like to share your Disney Cruise Line experience. Most importantly, you can always email us at dclduo at gmail.com if you'd like to connect with us, or you can call our voicemail line if you'd like to leave us a message. We love to include the voices of our listeners in our show. Just dial 402-413-5590. That's 402-413-5590. And that will head straight to our Google Voice voicemail line. The DCL Duo podcast is not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Disney Company, or the Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent or the great folks over at My Path Unwinding Travel. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night. Good night.